Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we do tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan Huddle is a game-like panel discussion posted each Tuesday during the season. Huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle. All right, let's meet the guys, a WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, yay or nay, and Sunday takeaways in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked on USC, Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer and moderator of WeRSC's Four Downs and Five Things video shows, and a graduate of USC, Eric McKinney. A former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC.com column, Musings with Arledge, and Musings with Arledge solo video edition, graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge, and a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious, not so obvious, from the press box, IMHO Sunday, the WeRSC.com travel guide, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Huddle, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on most available podcasts. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers unlimited premium access for just $1 for one month. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the WeRSC website that really does tell it like it is. All right, let's kick this thing off in the first quarter with a review of the Trojans' 43-41 triple overtime victory over the Arizona Wildcats last Saturday night before 62,916 in Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum and included a national television audience on ESPN. Looking at this week's latest top 25 in the AP, the Trojans are now barely clinging on to the AP top 10 poll at number 9. Future Trojan opponents include number 21, Notre Dame, number 7, Washington, number 8, Oregon, number 16, Utah, and number 18, UCLA. All right, panel, undefeated USC, 6-0, 4-0 in the Pac-12, is taking a major local and national media heat for now, how it's been performing. Despite its record, your overall thoughts and impressions on the USC-Arizona game, positively or negatively, panel, who or what stood out for you on offense, defense, and special teams, and what did you think was the key to the game? As always, we lead off with Mark Culkin. Go for it. All right. So um, there's a lot there. There are some positives. The defense actually made a play, a couple plays that probably saved USC's offense from losing that game. Look, I I think everyone understood going into the season that there was a lot of, there was going to be some hope in one hand, prayer in another, that the defense was going to be improved. We weren't looking for a significant improvement, just improvement. That hasn't happened. But now we're starting to see the offense kind of look for its own identity. And I raised that question after the game Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever time it was. And maybe it didn't come across the right way uh, because I I think Lincoln Riley got a little defensive on it. 
But right now, the, the running game hasn't been working for the last two and a half plus games. The passing game took a major dump against Arizona. And I'm just wondering, you know, what is this team's identity? What is going on um, during the practice week? Because to, to have a bye week, go on the road for two weeks and, and not look ready to play throughout the entire game. You look good in portions. And then to come home, have that game against Arizona, the reset button. And that was actually their worst game. They looked their worst throughout the season in that one game alone. Not against San Jose State to open the season. Game number six. And I'm trying to figure out why. Why is this team not developing and getting better week to week? Greg, you talked about it in your opening um, dissertation that USC keeps sliding in the polls. Three weeks in a row, you win. Two of them are on the road. And yet the perception is this team is not as good as everybody thinks they should be. Uh, for me right now, you, if you have the right pieces, it, it's, it starts at the top. Something's not, the message isn't getting through from the coaching staff to the players where they are continuously getting better. That game Saturday night, that was a tough watch on all three levels. I never thought I would see USC's offense open a game at home, nonetheless, with three straight drives that resulted in punts. Their first down, their first first down of the game, it, it needed an eight-yard, an eight-yard pass interference pass interference penalty from Arizona. So I don't know what was working Saturday night. Caleb Williams was. That was the offense. Other than that, you had some big plays throughout the game with the, from the defense, Jacoby Covington's interception, Kalen Bullock's two-point uh, conversion that kept the game into regulation. And then you had uh, Jamil Muhammad making that big play to seal the game at the end in third overtime. That's it. That's what I saw. I'm not sure I want to replay the game again. All right, Eric, what did you see? Sloppy. Right. It was sloppy. I mean, in, in every way, USC looked completely unprepared to play Arizona and Arizona looked almost overprepared to play USC. Like they'd spent all year getting ready for this game. And I, I think you have to credit Johnny Nansen a lot. And I, and I had said last week, if you're going to play USC, I think the team you want to play right before them is Washington and Arizona got that chance just because of the offenses and and I think how you have to try to uh, corral the, those two quarterbacks and Michael Penix and then Caleb Williams. So Arizona was ready to play USC. We talked, you know, we talked about the connections that Arizona has with all the Southern California uh, players. Talked about how Jed Fish absolutely used. Hey, three of your guys went over to that side because they think that that's a better program. We need to go and, and prove it to them. Arizona was playing with kind of every bit of the, the fire and enthusiasm and momentum that you thought USC would bring into that one after what had happened the two previous away games. I think what we're seeing is that while coaches and players talk a lot about week to week, want to know this game. You heard early on and even in fall camp, some of the coaches, and I don't think it was a slip. I think, I think they were kind of being honest about it. They clearly knew what the schedule was. They knew that they had 
six weeks where they needed to get everything in order to play some of these games. I think what we wanted to see was it getting better up and up and up as you got to Notre Dame. The end result is that USC is six and zero where you where you wanted them to be going to Notre Dame, where now if like what I'm saying is true and the players know this is it and they lock in now. I and I know I'm I'm going away from Arizona here, but I think that they're in an okay spot to go play at a Notre Dame team that is not great, right? Far from great and has a coach that doesn't seem to have them all that ready to play. So in in the grand scheme of things, I think you're okay going into this next week. Looking at that Arizona game, there were so many things that that cause you so much concern that the offense can't come out and play against the team for really the the third time you're seeing players kind of acknowledge too at the end of it that out schemed or out coached or, or out efforted or whatever you want to say Arizona State had stuff ready for USC that they weren't prepared for Colorado did stuff in the second half that USC clearly was not ready for or prepared for Arizona's defense did things to the USC offense that they couldn't deal with early on. And that was a USC offense that carved up everybody out of the gate. I mean, first quarter USC offense has been unbelievable this year and Arizona was ready for it. And USC could not adjust. You had stuff that I I think the thing that stood out to me the most, when I say sloppy USC had three plays, right? Ball at the six yard line with 24 seconds left to win the game, to win the game, punch it in for a touchdown. And I know like Riley said, it looked like, Maybe they're trying to let us score and whatever. Fine. Score, score right? That, that's it. So USC runs three plays there. The, the pass outside to Brendan Rice that he's clearly not expecting. If the corner was playing, right? The corner wasn't playing on that play either, just standing up. If he's looking at Caleb Williams at all, that's a pick six the other way for Arizona to win the game. The second play, the ball gets dropped on the ground. Again, Arizona could pick it up and go. And then you have the the field goal issue where Arizona catches that. USC ran three plays that could have won the game for them. And on all three of those plays, Arizona had the better chance to score a touchdown on, on all three of those plays. And that is one of those things that's just in, indefensible, right? When, when you're going to win a game in that setting. And that's so much of what stuck out, right? USC had an overtime possession with two penalties and Caleb Williams and the offense when it's good is just that good, right? It's, it's, it's almost like that game was having a kid that doesn't study and doesn't do anything and then goes and takes the test and does fine, right? <laughs> does fine. And you're like, no, this isn't the lesson that you should be learning from, from this. So that, I mean, that's what stood out to me. Just an, an ugly, disjointed, sloppy game. And you can spin it forward and say, if you play like that again, you mentioned the schedule, five ranked teams in the next six games, they'll lose all five of those games. I mean, not not an exaggeration to say they, they'd lose all five of those games if they play. Again, can you flip the switch and now are you ready? Were you mentally set to now the season starts and now we're going to go and now we're going to kind of unleash everything? I don't think they've earned the benefit of the doubt, but I can see them getting up for Notre Dame. I, I think that that this game, though, if you're just talking about Arizona, 
it gives you it, it gives you a lot of confidence that USC is not going to be at the end of the season where they thought they could be when the season started. I'm sure they circled the Notre Dame game though. I I mean we'll get that into is, that, that later. About to stop. That I do think fun. they're gonna I do think they're gonna be up for that one again. I I know we'll talk Notre Dame later. Chris. Yeah. Um, I think everybody's expecting me to rant. I'm not going to. Uh, well, maybe so I got to say, Chris, to not to you up, I had a Kelly Green shirt picked out to wear for this because I knew you were going to go soft, and I needed, like, the, the red flag in front of the bull, and yeah. I thought it would get you going. I couldn't I couldn't wear it. No, but I, I just wanted you to know, I, I thought of you for wardrobe today. So – in some ways, uh, the last few weeks have changed my perspective on this USC team. I, I thought this was a team that that had a legitimate chance to be one of the top four teams in the country, and probably and and probably should be in a position to make a run on a playoff spot. Understanding, of course, that that the, the back half of the schedule is very difficult, and and they'd have to go through it and lose only one. I look at the team now, and it looks to me like it's a two or three loss team, and I don't, I don't think it should be, but that's what it looks like. And the sorts of things you would like to see USC do uh, to get better were not seen. Um, what does that mean? I think it means that, and I, I wrote this uh, the day after, and I didn't use any profanity in the article. I, I think that. Um, I think it's time to re to readjust our expectations. USC is not very good right now. That's the truth. They're not very good right now. Caleb Williams wasn't a very good version of Caleb Williams Saturday, really. I mean, he, he made some, that the, the decision, uh, Eric already talked about it, the decision to throw that ball on, on first and goal at the end of the game was almost an historically bad decision. It would have been one of the worst decisions in college football that day. I mean, you can't possibly beat what what Miami coaches Miami's coach did, but I mean that was that was obscene. Then he then he has the uh, the muff on the uh, on the on the handoff where Austin was Austin Jones is going to walk into the end zone on that play. It was blocked extraordinarily. Any of us could have scored on that play. It was wide open. Um, and then, and then on third down, we drop a touchdown pass. <laughs> I mean, you watch that, you think none of that should happen. This team is way better than that, but it just does, and it happens over and over again. Why, Chris? Uh, the offense, the offense is going to be okay. I think they need to make more of a commitment to the running game. Uh, you can't let a team trot out six and sometimes seven defensive backs and not just run it down their throats. And USC could have run it down Arizona's throat. I'm convinced of it. I didn't watch every play. I didn't. I didn't uh, try to figure out assignments on on every down. But I went through the you know the extended highlight film. Actually, there were plenty of holes. I mean, they could move those guys, especially with all those defensive backs in the game. Uh, USC just wasn't committed to it, and I think you have to be. Um, and defensively, USC wasn't committed to stopping the run. And, you know, most defensive coaches will tell you that that's the number one assignment. We're going to have to stop the run and make them one-dimensional, right? That that was always Pete Carroll's mantra. That's everybody's mantra. Nick Saban doesn't let teams run up and down the field on him. And, and, if, and if he needs to make an adjustment to shut down the run, he will. That's what you have to do. Alex Grinch doesn't want to. He just doesn't want to. And I don't really understand why. 
I, I said last week that USC's difficulty in stopping the run is often personnel and and scheme based. Um, I think it was again this week. Arizona ran that toss sweep over and over and over again. And if you go back and look at those plays, what you'll see is that USC was not in a position in terms of personnel and alignment to stop it until the last time they actually stopped it. USC was relying on um, on a corner and a nickel, both off the ball to set the edge and shut down that play. And uh, the linebackers, were, you know what? I'm not even going to go through it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write it up and I'm going to post it on the board and I'm going to give you the film clips because I want to show you what USC was doing consistently throughout the game and then what they did on that two-point conversion play that they stopped. Because at that point, they committed bodies to stopping that play and I think had Mason Cobb on a run blitz. Either that or he just decided to gamble because he'd seen the play so many times at that point because he was he was, he was was running. He was, run, he was full speed of the line of scrimmage at the time that ball was snapped. Um, but my problem with all that is that USC has struggled to stop the run for a year and a half now that Alex Grinch has been there. And most of the time, it's not because USC doesn't have the, the, the players to stop it. I'll tell you right now, if USC wants to shut down Notre Dame's run game, they can. They did it last year, and they could do it again. But it's going to require a commitment to stopping the run. And I know that's hard if you don't trust your defensive backs, and maybe he doesn't. And you know what? Against Cowan and McMillan, I wouldn't trust him either because those two receivers are better than the guys USC had trying to cover them. They were, but you still have to stop the run. They didn't stop the run or the pass. They just decided to let them do whatever they want, and which also, by the way, shortens the game, which if you're Arizona, what do you want? You want to shorten the game. You want USC to get four possessions and a half. Because you know that Caleb Williams, even when he's off, is going to is going to make spectacular plays, which he did, and score points. Would you rather him get the ball eight times and you get the ball eight times or both teams get the ball 12 times? That's a no-brainer, right? So we we allowed them to slow down the game. We allowed them to get eight, nine yards of carry because we weren't lined up with personnel and we didn't have the alignment to stop them. And we did it over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know what to do with that other than to say that I kind of expect it's going to happen for the rest of the year. So I also don't expect that the defense will be any good for the rest of the year. That means USC is going to have to score 40 points in every game to win, including Cal. Will they do it? They might, but I think it's likely that they lose a couple 43 to 40. So anyway, that's a very long winded way of saying it. I just don't think USC is a very good football team right now. And I think a lot of that is coming from the top. Because I think they have, I think USC has the best players in the Pac-12, and they certainly have much better players than what Arizona put on the field. Even though Arizona's not a bad football team, right? There, there's a reason they played Washington close. There's a reason they played USC close. They are tough. They're physical. They have two receivers that are uh, that are really good. I mean, when Singer came over, you thought we're still their best guy. I don't know. Actually, he may have been their third best guy. I mean, those those two guys can really play. Uh, Arizona's not a bad football team. They're going to beat some people. But, you know, playing Arizona at home when you have Caleb Williams and the weapons USC has, that stuff shouldn't happen. Last point on this, you know how hard it is to win a game when you're down 17 to nothing and then you turn the ball over? I mean, that almost never happens. You almost never see a team win under those circumstances. USC did. 
And they did it against a team that I'm saying is a pretty good football team. Arizona's not a bottom feeder. They're not bad. They're, they're, they're pretty good. So, I mean, it was terrible. It was a disaster of epic proportions for the first quarter plus of the game. And USC tried to throw it away multiple times after that. But they won. So, I'm just going to relax and enjoy it. I have six seven, maybe eight games to watch Caleb Williams in a USC uniform. And watching Caleb Williams in a USC uniform is really a a, a fantastic opportunity. He's so good, and he does so many things that are extraordinary that I'm just going to enjoy that. And if USC slips up two or three times, which they probably will, I'm going to try not to throw anything at my television. That's that's the commitment that I'm making to, to you and to my TV right now. I know what stage of grief Chris is in right now, so. Well, I don't think this team has its head on right. Okay. I, uh, I, I sense that actually by Culkin's question in the post game show, I think the question was a fine question. I thought the answers to it in the post game press conference was edgy. This team is on edge. Okay. I think the coaching, I think Lincoln Riley's on edge. Because I think Lincoln Riley has been, his coaching has been called into question, not by us, uh, per se, but nationally, his image, his perception. Uh, you know, he was given a lot of fanfare, uh, when he was at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, some people, uh, you know, I was actually one of them, uh, who said, okay, he inherited Bob Stoops program. Now he's going to get a chance to really get his, hands in his work together and see what if he can build or rebuild USC. And I think he started off fine, but I think the expectations for him personally as a coach uh, have been called into question. I don't know in his career, whether he's really been under this extreme amount of heat where a lot of people that paid him a lot of uh, homage, a lot of respect uh, are now begrudgingly having question marks. And that's hard for a coach to do that. Uh, you know, we all pay attention. I think SE fans, as well as anybody, our, our, this panel included, has heard enough coach speak in the last 10 years to last a lifetime. Uh, you know, we hear that they wouldn't have won Saturday if the culture wasn't right. I thought that Caleb was showing signs of frustration. Uh, he's trying to defend his defense. Look, we're just going to call it as we see it. Okay, we're just reacting. Now, we're not in practice. We're not in the locker room. I'd say the players kind of have an idea of what's going on, but everyone's not going to say it, and they shouldn't uh, within the public's earshot. But there's something not right with this team. Okay, and uh, let's face it, they hit their goal. They're 6-0, okay? Nobody should complain about 6-0. But at this point on, there are no more excuses. There are no more, we can't get up for it, Uh, you know, don't don't even go with the schedules too hard. It is what it is. If you're a championship team, you'll show it on the field. And my feeling is on on Saturday was, boy, we you you can't expect Caleb Williams to be perfect every game. This game he wasn't. Maybe against Notre Dame, he throws for 400 yards, possible. But so much of this is a mental game, uh, much and a lot of it is a scheme, and that's for a discussion for another time. But there's just not something right here. I thought defensively, 
there were some individual great plays. You know, Callum Bullock in the end zone deflecting the ball was a great play. I thought both the touchdowns that uh, Caleb Williams ran on offense were great plays. Uh, so there was great plays, but there wasn't consistency to them. And uh, hopefully going forward, they can get it together. Because I'll tell you what, there's going to be no bigger litmus test uh, than Notre Dame Stadium uh, on Saturday. It's going to be Notre Dame's going to be fighting for their lives. They're out of the national championship, but they can inflict major damage on SC. It's still the big rivalry. We'll talk about that in a minute. Fans ever been caught in the last-minute ticket frenzy? The stress, uncertainty, it's crunch time. You don't need it. But guess what? There's a game-changing solution. It's called Game Time. Imagine this. Effortless ticket buying for all your favorite sports, music, comedy, and theater events. No more frantic searches. Game Time is your ultimate ticket buddy. That sounds good to me. Want perks? How about an incredible deals on last-minute tickets? and a rock-solid best price guarantee. Say goodbye to ticket anxiety. Hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. If you are heading to Notre Dame for the story intersectional rivalry between the Trojans and the Irish, don't have a ticket? Check out the inventory from game time. And a reminder, the Trojans return home on Saturday, October 21st against defending Pac-12 champions, the Utah Utes. So check out game time tickets after watching or listening inside the Trojans' huddle. Aside from USC tickets, you can also head to game time for Dodger playoff tickets, Rams, Chargers tickets to all your favorite L.A. teams. And don't forget the concerts as well. Flash deals, easy access, seat view images, unbeatable best price guarantee, event protection. Game time has it all from sports to rock concerts. So here's the deal. Head to GameTime.co. That's GameTime.co. That's co, not .com. Download the app, create an account, use code TROJANS. For $20 off your first purchase, ready to dive in? As for buying tickets, it's as easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent straight to your phone. Again, download the app, uh, Game Time app, create an account. Use code TROJANS for $20 off. Terms apply. Create an account and redeem code TROJANS for $20 off on your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right, we head into the second quarter, and this is probably discussion that we all want to talk about. Uh, the preview of the nation's longest-running intersectional rivalry, that's when the Trojans travel to South Bend, Indiana, for this Saturday night's battle with the number 21 Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who are now 5-2, and two, having lost 33-20. to 20. On Saturday night at number 14 Louisville, the Irish committed five turnovers. The game will be televised in NBC uh, from Notre Dame Stadium. It'll kick off time locally is 4.30 p.m., uh, 7.30 p.m. in the Eastern time zone. A reminder to fans going back to Chicago, maybe your first time to go to this game. There is an hour difference between Chicago, Midwest time, and South Bend, which goes by Eastern Standard Time. So uh, keep that in mind. Notre Dame is led by transfer quarterback Sam Hartman, running back Audric Estime, and a physical offensive line led by junior All-America tackle Joe Alt. Defensively, the Irish are paced by outstanding senior linebacker J.T. Bertrand and sophomore corner Benjamin Morrison. The Irish are averaging 34 points per game on offense while allowing 15 points per game on defense. So, panel, let's start off with this. The Trojans opened a two-and-a-half-point underdog to Notre Dame. Do you agree with the odds, Chris Arledge? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Um I don't trust either team. 
Well, I've seen enough of you uh, of of USC to know I don't trust them, but I've also seen enough of Notre Dame to know they're they're in they're in a similar position to the one that USC is in in that they're deeply disappointed by a team that they thought could be a, a national title contender. The primary difference is they have two losses already. That's not great, and and so um, but they're playing at home. USC has been. USC has been a mess, and if I if if I had no rooting interest in either team, would I expect the home team to pull it together and and play well? Probably. So I don't have a problem with it, although I don't think that's going to be the outcome. But I guess we'll talk about that in a bit. Mark. Yeah, I got. It's not. I'm not going to die on the hill, but yeah, USC should not be the underdog in this game. I understand why they are. Uh, I, I think there's some. The odds makers are probably using a little bit of a, I don't know, bounce back game for Notre Dame. They lost at Louisville this past weekend by two touchdowns. By the way, the last time Notre Dame played at home, they also lost at home uh, to the Ohio State Buckeyes, and that happened in dramatic fashion. So, yeah, if USC isn't ready, that two and a half, I I think Eric and I were talking about this. If USC is going to lose, it's either going to be a close game or it's going to turn into a blowout. There's not going to be any middle ground. I'm wondering if this is going to be that that game. Eric? Yeah, what, three points for the home team, and it's basically a push, and, and Caleb Williams gets USC the, the half point? Um, sure, right? I mean, USC has not played well for four quarters for three weeks in a row. I, you know, the guess wouldn't be – yeah, they're gonna they're gonna blow Notre Dame out. Uh based on just how USC's playing and the expectation for Notre Dame coming into the season, you would have expected Notre Dame by nine or ten. But this Notre Dame team has not been that. So the, these two teams, yeah, I mean what, what Chris said, they're they're very close in terms of how much do you trust them to play their A game on any given weekend. I don't know, 65, 70% at, at this point. So not surprised uh, that, that Notre Dame's favorite. If USC, you know, if this game's at the Coliseum, that number's probably flipped. Well, I, I think SC's where they should be an underdog. Uh, I think you got two teams that parallel each other. I don't know what's going on in the Notre Dame locker room. I know they're not happy. I know USC's not happy. Uh, Notre Dame can say that they, you know, their losses to, were to ranked teams. I mean, no embarrassment losing to Ohio State on the last play. Uh, you know, Ohio State's right up there in contention for, you know, a national playoff spot. You know, Louisville is probably a, a perhaps we could even say a, a well-kept secret. Uh, if you watch the game, uh, SC has a good excuse coming into this game. We didn't play well. We were looking ahead. I don't think the players might have told you that. But I will say this, when SC goes into Notre Dame Stadium, if they don't do a walkthrough on Friday, which they probably won't, uh, I'm really concerned about the environment because all of us are going to be there, right? Uh, All of us have been there before. We know that there's just something about the Notre Dame campus or whatever, we'll talk about it later, but it's it's a magical thing, and it's very hard uh, to keep your – focus in your concentration especially early on uh my thing would be after this game we're going to find out if two and a half points was too little 
or too much. Panel, what will you be looking for for the USC offense? What do you want to see? Defense, special teams against the Irish. What's the key to this game, Chris? USC has to commit to stopping Notre Dame's run game. The Irish haven't run the ball particularly well. That's what they want to do, and they have they have two really good tackles. They have a they have a couple of good backs, including Estime, who's a who's a load to bring down. He's a big guy. USC has to commit to stopping the run game. Uh, I mentioned it before. Last year they did because remember going into that Notre Dame game, Notre Dame was sort of on a roll. They were running the ball well. USC hadn't stopped anybody from running the ball all year, from what I could tell. Uh, and they completely shut it down because they committed to it. I think they have to. I'm actually cautiously optimistic that they will because Notre Dame doesn't really have people on the outside that scare me. Um, Arizona's receivers are better than Notre Dame's, and it ain't close. Um, Colorado's receivers are probably better than Notre Dame's also, even without Hunter playing a couple weeks ago. So when I look at the when I look at Notre Dame, I don't see a team with elite playmakers. I see a big rugged offensive line that hasn't actually blocked particularly well uh, over the last few weeks. If USC does what they did last week and they don't they don't concentrate on setting the edge and they just hope that a corner and a nickel are going to shut down that outside run over and over again. Um, then Notre Dame will do exactly what Arizona did and they'll run the ball all the way down the field on the edges and they'll control the clock and they'll keep Caleb Williams off the field and then just hope that when he's on the field, USC will make some mistakes. And, and, and if they do that, then, then USC is in trouble. I think, I think USC has to play much more aggressively defensively, not by doing, not by drawing up some creative blitzes or nonsense like that. I mean, they have to put guys in the box and shut down the Notre Dame run game, and then tell their defensive backs, good luck, go cover those guys. They are not better athletes than you are, and see what happens. And if they give up if they give up 40 points playing that way, so be it. Um, so offensively, I think USC, USC needs to run the ball. They really do. Um, because I think right now you've had uh, you've had a couple of weeks with teams deciding that they're going to dare USC to run and see if they're willing to do it. And I think USC's response has been, well, we're not really that interested in doing it. We'll give the ball to our, our best tailback, who's really good. We say this every week. He's really good. We'll give it to him 14 times, 15 times. Um, now, maybe Notre Dame, here's the thing. A team like Arizona will look at it and say, all right, I'm a little bit worried about Caleb Williams in the passing game. Let's just throw defensive backs all over the field and see if USC is going to be stubborn and hope they will be, right? I don't know if Notre Dame will do that. The problem with teams like Notre Dame and USC is that they tend to be stubborn themselves because they think it doesn't really matter what the other guy does. If we play our game, we're going to win. So I think Notre Dame may come out and play it straight up. And if they play it straight up, Caleb Williams is going to torch them. They haven't rushed the passer particularly well, and there's no way their secondary matches up with USC's wideouts, and there's no way in the world they have an answer for Caleb Williams because nobody does. Here's the thing about Caleb. You can do everything right. You can line up right, and you can play, and you can play with heart, and you can do your assignment, and you can do everything right, and he can still beat you. And so uh, I, I think if Notre Dame's smart, Notre Dame will force us to run the ball and 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 just 
and just put defensive backs all over the field and see if Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams both decide that they don't want to get five, six yards of carry. They want to try to score in two or three plays. Because if they do that, that's probably exactly what USC will try to do. But uh, if they play USC straight up, they have one good corner. They have one good corner. The rest of that secondary is going to get owned if that's what they do. But I think they'll be stubborn. I think they'll pull a Kyle Whittingham. So uh, that that's the way I see it. It would be nice, too, if we could kick a field goal if we have to. But, hell, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. I mean, that was – I don't know. I, I'm, I feel scattered today. I'm all over the place because there's so many things I want to say, and then I decide I probably just shouldn't say them. Um, I should have worn the green shirt. It would have absolutely focused you and, no, and got your rage going. Uh, look, I'll make a prediction in a minute. I'll just say this. I'll close it out with this. USC should win this game. USC has better personnel than Notre Dame. Frankly, uh, USC is probably better coached than Notre Dame. And that's saying something right now, because at least on one side of the ball, I'm completely disgusted from what I've seen all year. Here we USC go. Should, <laughs> USC should win this football game. And if they want to save their season, they have to win this football game. Because if they lose this one, if they lose this one, we're in a world of hurt going forward. All right, Mark, your turn. Yeah, there's not a lot I'm going to add to what Chris said. I Earlier in the show, though, he said that USC needs, needs to make a better commitment to the run. I, I think they started to in the last game. I mean, they ran it 33 times. Granted, what 12 of them were Caleb William runs. The other 15 were Marshawn Lloyd, and then Austin Jones got a gratuitous five carries. So they need – if you're going to run the ball 33 times, split those attempts up between Marshawn and Austin Jones and let Caleb Williams run eight times a game just because he can. Uh, don't use him in a scramble mode because the rest of the running game and the offensive line can't get in concert together. That's the first fix they need to do. Run the ball at Notre Dame. Make life easier for your offense. For some reason right now, you cannot just rely on Caleb Williams to make a play either with his arm or with his legs. They just they need to be more efficient, more effective. Defensively, cross your fingers. We're we're just going to hope that they, the team can come together and have more good plays than negative plays. They know what they're doing. They're going into Notre Dame. They haven't won there in I don't know how many years. Yeah, they've got the win at home last year against the Fighting Irish, but last year they went into Utah six and zero. They left six and one. This is their seventh game this year on the road. Notre Dame is a much bigger game than Utah. This game, Chris said it, you don't win it. Uh, you're already spiraling in the polls after you're winning. You lose this game, it's going to see where USC is ranked. They need to play USC football. I, they're, they're, circle the game, pretend you're Arizona, pretend you're Colorado, pretend you're ASU. Make this the game that Notre Dame had no idea what USC was going to do. All right, Eric. It's it's unnerving how on the same page I am with with Chris on that. Uh, a lot of the stuff that that he said. Um, Pac twelve offenses are the best offenses in college football. What Arizona can dial up is 
honestly head and shoulders above what Notre Dame can do offensively. And, and it doesn't get talked about, I think, enough nationally how good Pac-12 offenses are, right? I mean, that that's one of those things. You, you can look at the stats and see where USC, Oregon, Washington are, but then where everyone else is too, right? Colorado's offense is like a top-tier offense in, in any other conference. I think what, what Chris said is absolutely right on both sides of the ball. Notre Dame won't bend and say, we need something special for USC. I think that they're going to say, we're just going to play how we play. And if they try to just stand up and push USC, USC can play back against that. And, and if I have to, you know, make a prediction and all of that, I think that what Notre Dame does on Saturday probably plays pretty well into USC's hands. And I do think USC goes and, and wins this game. What's going to be interesting to me, and I think where Arizona got themselves into trouble outside of committing a penalty on every important play in that game, what Arizona didn't do, Chris talked about the toss sweep. I couldn't believe they didn't run that 50 times in that game. Like the fact that they tried to hit deep balls. And again, you throw it up to T-Mac and he can go up over anyone and do and catch the ball. I understand the want to do that. If you as a coach can kind of put that aside and say, we can just beat this team by running toss sweep 50 times, we don't have to score from 70 yards out, Arizona was going to win that game. I don't know if USC was ever going to make a correction consistently enough to do that. Notre Dame, I think, could do that. They they have a quarterback in Sam, Hart- Sam Hartman who was the transfer portal get at quarterback kind of the way Caleb Williams was two years ago. Sam Hartman does not appear to be that guy, that guy that's going to go out and beat USC by himself. If Notre Dame wants to run with Audrick Estime 60 times, I mean, I know know that's, that's too big, but I don't, I don't know if USC can handle that. Now on the flip side, when Mark talks about the run game, Chris talks about the run game. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the number. I think it's being okay running for four yards. And saying, okay, we can keep doing that, right? You run for four yards on first and 10. If you run for four yards on second and six, that's fine. But to it feels like when that happens, right? When they get a three-yard run, when a four-yard run, it almost feels like, okay, well, that was a failure. We got to go find something else. And it's like, no, if you do that enough over the course of the game, that's a successful running game. And I, and I think when we watch the running game, that's what it feels like. If we're, if USC is not hitting 15 yard, 20 yard runs, okay, we got to figure something out because we need chunk plays for this offense to work. And, and that's how we're going to move the ball. And when you get away from that, that's when things really start to shift and your defense ends up on the field way more than you're comfortable with. I, I thought it was interesting after the game when Caleb Williams talked about, I, I don't really like to run. Early in the year, you remember they, they put him out on the edge. They were letting him move and he was taking some hits, right? He, I mean, he took hits the last couple games just by being in the pocket. But early on, it was like, what is he doing getting thrown into the bench on a design play that has him out there with all, all these bodies? I'd be curious if, if the, some of that stuff starting to come back now as, as you go. I thought the overtime run where he, it didn't, it didn't seem designed for him to just trail Austin Jones up the middle after the the play action there. It seemed like just kind of a, a regular read where he was going to go around the outside. 
But when he follows him up there, that that run play is is devastating. I mean, to to put like a lead blocker in front of Caleb going up through a hole, that kind of stuff is going to keep the USC offense moving. Now, you obviously you do not want Caleb Williams to take extra hits, but when you can add that to your run game, it becomes much more potent and and even more explosive there. But I think that's what we're talking about with the run game. Are you okay rushing for four yards and saying that's a success? Let's go back to that. Let's keep doing that. And the flip side's true too. If Notre Dame does that and estimate breaks a tackle on every single carry and goes for five yards, Notre Dame could, could take control of that game. I think that I think Notre Dame's gonna get kind of carried away with word of Notre Dame and we can do whatever we want. And and I do think that that USC kind of gets it together for this one because like I said earlier, I think they've been looking for this backstretch. I think they've been they've been focused on that. I think that's some of the kind of scatterbrain weird stuff going on early. And I think they can get it locked together. One thing we're not really talking about the the weather out there. I mean, it's gonna be 50 degrees, maybe some rain. It's it's gonna be a real cold weather game for for USC Notre Dame. And maybe that locks USC in a little bit when you're fighting kind of the, the weather and the crowd and and all of that. They talk about really liking to play on the road and all that kind of stuff, but we'll see how that affects them too. You think USC's physical enough to play with Notre Dame? That's what it's gonna come down to. Is who can we're talking about the line of scrimmage, run the ball, stop the run. Is USC physical enough? They're showing I, their like I yeah, no, it's tough, right? It's tough because Arizona stood them up with three defensive linemen a lot of times, right? And and I don't know I don't know if they are. And that's I think that if Notre Dame decides, no, we're just gonna lean on you and we're just going to run the ball as many times as we can, I think that puts USC in a in a tough spot. I think it puts them in a tough spot. And I I mean, the, the run game for USC is that, right? I think we've seen that. When they run for three or four yards, they go away from it. And I think that takes away from what your offensive line wants to do and the ability to kind of impose your will up front when all of a sudden it's like, no, no, now let's let's go to the outside. And again, I get it. You get to line those wide receivers up. You get to let Caleb Williams make plays and throw the ball and it's what I'd want to pick. It's what it's what I'd want to pick every time if if I got to you know come up with creative play calls and score sixty yard touchdowns. Yeah, I think that Eric. I think your last point is a big point. The weather. Uh, I just did the travel guide. It's on wersc.com. I if you're looking for a special edition of the travel guide, it's there for you. Everything you want to know about what happens on campus. Uh, I, I think I think people would find it beneficial to check check it out. I've got the weather for Chicago on all three days: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The weather report for South Bend on Saturday, and it's it says rain and it says wind up to you know ten to twenty miles an hour. Uh, I think we've all been there enough times to know what that means. Uh, you know, SC has a way of making other teams' offenses look good. I know Colorado didn't have a running game. Look what they did. Uh, I think Notre Dame attack. Uh, first of all, the quarterback situation for Notre Dame is much better with Sam Hartman than it was under Drew Pine. Uh, I, I think SC's defense probably comes around at the right time for Notre Dame. Uh, I think USC's offense, which really, you know, we all talk about the physical play of, of Caleb Williams. 
but it runs through Lincoln Riley. He decides on the on whether they're going to run the ball. They're not going to run the ball. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, we got Marcus Freeman, head coach of Notre Dame, former Ohio State outstanding linebacker. So it's kind of a kind of interesting uh, combat here between uh, an offensive guru, uh, Lincoln Riley, and a defensive person like uh, Freeman. Notre Dame's had some coaching changes uh, that I think, especially offensive coordinator, that made a difference. Uh, you know, Reese, their offensive coordinator from last year, is at Alabama. Uh, they're working in a new guy. But, you know, there's enough intrigue, question marks about both teams that we're going to see which team is for real against the, the other the others. So it should be interesting. Panel, all four of us are going to be at Notre Dame on Saturday. This game is also known as the Notre Dame Weekender for all the activities going on in Chicago and in South Bend. So I think fans would like to know that are going, fans that have never gone, just what are we going to be doing? Us. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go around here. I want to ask, uh, when are you getting in? What time are you getting in, so to speak? Uh, what are your points of interest in Chicago? What are your points of interest for South Bend? Game day, what have you? Chris, kind of give us a little of your travel itinerary. I'm not telling people when I'm getting in, Greg. I, I mean, that's not <laughs> even that parade? No, uh <laughs> I'm going to get in, I'm going to get in early Friday morning and, um, I'll probably, I'll probably go to the, uh, the pep rally. Uh, I usually do. Um, I used to eat at Ditka's, but I think they closed down the downtown Ditka's, but, uh, uh, I took my son there when, when I first took him to Notre Dame some years ago and, and, uh, we saw Ditka and he was hobbling down the stairs and, and my son loved it. So I, I, I used to go there every, every time. I don't know that, the the one thing, if you haven't spent much time in Chicago, they have a they have a fantastic museum, science and industry or science and technology. I can't remember which one, but it's not me. Not me. <laughs> you can't pin this on me. Look at Chris. Have you ever seen Chris in this state of mind? Look at it. He's still trying to figure out if it's industry what, what or technology. What so, well, you you got stage fright. Did I? Did I? Oh, yeah, I, I'm getting that. It says my internet connection is unstable. So that being the case, Thank it God doesn't really matter that. what I'm doing in Chicago. I'll let you guys talk. <laughs> you know. All right. Uh, what have we to talk about? So, uh, Mark, what are you? What are you doing? What is so, your what is your plans, so to speak? So I'm getting in Friday night around eight forty-five. Uh, I have dinner plans late dinner, Lou Malnati's pizza, which is all right, right across the street from the hotel, apparently. So that works out. And then uh, Saturday morning, Eric and I will get in the car and drive to South Bend, where I guess we're not in this type of group yet where we can fly straight into South Bend. We're going to go meet our friend Scott Schrader at the South Bend Airport. So, oh, Scott's going into South Bend. He, he's reached the uh, the elite level. Oh my! Yes, he is. He's Mister. Okay, okay plane action. <laughs> Man, you know, they they better win because that trip home after a late night kickoff in Chicago in Notre Dame it's not a fun ride home. It's silent. It's long. It's dark. Not looking forward to that. So win the game. Well, That's hopefully they, they will, they'll win the game so you can have a good trip back. Eric, what what's your plans here? Yeah, I got, I, I kind of scheduled a tight itinerary here. We were, we were in Chicago 
uh, a few months ago. So I didn't, I didn't schedule this or one around being in Chicago. Chris is right. Museum of Science and Industry is awesome. Shed Aquarium for people who haven't been there is incredible. Uh, the one, the one place when we were back there, and I, I lived for a little bit over a year in Chicago. My my wife lived out there and and went to Northwestern. The Chicago Sports Museum, which is in Water Tower Place, right on Magnificent Mile. I had honestly not not heard of it. Uh, it's incredible. It has a ton of Chicago sports history, kind of a bunch of interactive stuff. Um, it's got the it's got the Steve Bartman ball and just kind of all the Chicago sports. And it, it was, again, how, for how not crowded it was, it was unbelievable how much there was in there from it. So I would absolutely, it's, you know, it's right on the Magnificent Mile and people probably staying downtown can get there pretty easily. Um, I, I, I was surprised how cool it was. Uh, so anyway, that, that's kind of my recommendations there. I, I like Lou Manoli's Geo. Giordano's was always my pizza place from from when I was there. I don't I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. Uh, but that's kind of my my push on that. And then yeah, like Mark said, driving over there Saturday morning just to be able to get to campus. And, and if you haven't been there before, just start walking behind people and look around. There really isn't a you have to see this and this. The idea is to just kind of experience all of it and and see things as you get to them. Um, but I have been, it, it's been about three weeks of trying to find loose change and dollar bills and all of that for the 175 tolls uh, yeah. there and back from, from Chicago. You get about, you get about five minutes of good driving before you start reaching around in the center console, trying to, trying to get change together. So, and again, that's, that's a that's a rough drive back if things don't go well for USC. So putting a putting a lot of pressure on the on the guys to come through when you when you rent a car and make that drive. Actually, there are a few things you do have to see on the campus, though. I I know Eric, you said to walk around. Make sure you take a picture in front of Touchdown Jesus. Make sure you walk over to the grotto, Catholic or not. The scenery around the lake it's really beautiful. There are certain things to look at, and then the changing of the colors the orange and the and the gold and the brown leaves this time of year gorgeous and watch the um what are they called the the uh the fighting irish drum majors that come by they're all six foot six the irish guard yeah that's an impressive lot and you better not be in their line when they're marching because they will walk right through you found out the hard way <laughs> um you know i've been to notre dame Many, many times, Chicago. I've done everything you can do, I think, uh, on both accounts. <laughs> you know, I'm going to come in on a Thursday night uh, just because I don't want to have to rush it on Friday at this point in my life. So I'll I'll <laughs> stay at, at right outside O'Hare Airport. Then I will uh, – the, the pep rally is a great thing if you haven't gone to it at noon at the Navy Pier. Be aware that it could be canceled because of the really strong potential of rain. And when it rains there, it really rains hard, big drops. But I would say if you got a chance, go up the, I think it used to be called the Sears Tower. It's not that, it's not called that anymore, but Willis Tower. Willis Tower. Yeah. I, I was there uh, about three, four months ago with my son for the Dodger series uh, against the Cubbies. 
Uh, if you've got time, take a tour of Wrigley Field. It's, it's even if there's not a game there, it's it's really well worth it. Uh, but if you go up the uh, tower there, uh, you can see all four sides of Chicago, the lake. Uh, you know, I think one of the things first time I I went there and and you don't really realize it's not a lake; it's an ocean. They just call it a lake. And uh, I would also say if you got time and the weather's okay. You might want to take a tour, a uh, boat tour uh, on Chicago River uh, for the architecture. Uh, I thought I would be bored out of my brains, but it was the opposite. It was really fascinating, really interesting. Uh, you know, walking, uh, you know, Michigan Avenue, the Miracle Mile is a lot of fun. Uh, you see a lot of USC fans. It's kind of like an invasion of the Cardinal and Gold. But after some years, I, you know, I said, okay, I've done that. Uh, you know, it's always fun to take the drive to Notre Dame because, you know, you drive by, uh, old, you know, Comiskey Park on the south side, and then you get on the Indiana Toll Road, and you learn what exit 77 is the off-ramp to Notre Dame. Uh, I'm going to be staying in a city down the road from Notre Dame. Uh, I ain't taking that that ride at 2 in the morning back, uh, win or lose, to Chicago. So I, I prefer just to stay overnight and uh, wake up in the morning on, on game day and take a 15-minute drive to Notre Dame and I'd rather just leave on Sunday, but I think Mark hit the nail on the head, actually. If you've not been to Notre Dame and you're not disgusted by watching the movie Rudy, I thought Rudy really portrayed what Notre Dame game day is like. It's like nothing that that we see out here. Uh, I'm not downing what we do, our tailgating, but it's a completely different atmosphere. You got to take the picture of Touchdown Jesus. You got to go to the grotto. You got to see Lake I I think it's called Lake Mary. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it's a beautiful, it's so serene and peaceful and college-like. Uh, it, you really get, there's no way you can actually know what it's like unless you go. And uh, you'll want to see the Trojans and the Irish when they walk into Notre Dame Stadium. It's a zoo. It's a free-for-all. I mean, both sides are just eager to, to have at it. Uh, and Notre Dame Stadium, I was there when it was the old stadium. I liked it when it was only like 59,000, 58 is very intimate. But everything about the trip, you will not you will not leave saying that was a waste of money or a waste of time. Even if the Trojans don't win, if they win, it's a great thing. But, uh, you know, you just have to do it. If it's not on your bucket list and you're not going this year, try to do it in the future. Now, friends, a reminder, we RSC fans, if you're – you can follow each and every USC home and away game on uh, a thing called we call five things. Uh, it's a timely analysis after the game from moderator and we are SC editor in chief Eric McKinney, along with Mark Culkin and myself. We'll um, discuss five important in-depth questions about the just concluded game. Uh, check out five things on YouTube and we again after the conclusion of Saturday's uh, night's uh, game. It probably will come in. Uh, late because of what we have to do in the filming and getting it on the site. But uh, we'll be there, and uh, I think you'll like hearing our immediate thoughts anyway. All right, so halftime. Uh, we'll be very quick about this. Panel of the Big Ten released its revised 2024 schedule. Trojans will play home games in the Coliseum against Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. Road games include Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Washington, and UCLA. Dates for the Big Ten season will be announced later. Panel, your overall thoughts and impressions regarding next season's Big Ten schedule. Eric, what's your immediate thoughts on what what you 
know to be next year's uh, scheduling? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. And and that's kind of what the expectation is every year in this. And and the travel is going to be, I I think, real, right? I mean, it's that's kind of kind of hitting home here. Uh, the away game schedule next year feels, uh, a little bit different, I guess, than, than what it was before. Um, that trip to, to Washington now being on there, that trip to Michigan, I know you were at, it, it was at Penn State, um, before, but, there's some there's some trips in there. What I what I'm curious about is nobody brought up the idea of getting a road game at Maryland, and maybe that brings Caleb Williams back to, to play to have him go go play back there. Uh, I so I was looking forward to at Penn State, just kind of the the you know that kind of thing. But I like getting a, an at Penn State or an at Michigan or an at Ohio State or, or at a big you know venue like that. So replacing the at Penn State with at Michigan. Um, I, I think is interesting, but you know, you just with the transfer portal now and with all of that stuff, trying to guess like which games are going to be tough or anything like that a, a year out is going to prove to be, I think much more difficult, you know, than it used to be. So at this point, it could have been any collection of, of teams on those future Big Ten schedules and they all, they all kind of look the same, except when you look down the down the road at 2026, and there are some there are some big, big, big names of iconic teams on, on that 2026 schedule. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to expect from teams like Nebraska and Wisconsin right now. Um, so I don't know how good they'll be, but if you just read the names on the schedule, it's. I mean, it's extraordinary. You add LSU and Notre Dame to the mix and, and you're just looking at, you're just looking at college football royalty all over the place. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Um, And, and look, what USC has to deal with next year is far more difficult than what the SEC teams have to deal with next year. Go look at Alabama's schedule, Google Georgia's schedule that it's not even in the same neighborhood as to what USC has to do. Um, at some point, that fact is going to get into the consciousness of voters and media types and the rest. And this honestly looks like a schedule where you can lose not you can lose two games and get into and get into the playoff. You might be able to lose three, depending on how you lose them and who you lose them to. I mean Mark, Mark is, Mark is saying no, but you, you have a, you have a one point loss at Michigan, a one point loss at, uh, at Washington. I don't know. I mean, it's, so I guess what I'm saying with that is college football changes pretty substantially next year when it comes to regular season games and how important it is to win every single one of them. And, and, and we'll probably lose a little bit because it used to be that every, right. Every game is so critical. Uh, next year, that's not every game's not as critical, but there are going to be so many of them. They're going to be fun. That um, that yeah, I feel pretty good about it. And and I I want to go watch a game at the Big House. And um, and and I I would have gone to Penn State also, but we'll get our chance. So yeah, it's a fun it's a fun schedule. I hope we find a way to play defense for then. <laughs> Mark, yeah, I, I I where I agree with Chris is on the on the loss part, and it goes back to my point earlier. 
is that USC now has a schedule that even from a perception standpoint, if they win a close game against a Rutgers, they're probably not going to drop in the polls. It's that the, the optics that people have of the Pac-12. USC schedule next year, that's that's awesome. Chris brought up, you know, it's not even mentioned LSU and Notre Dame on that schedule. But USC literally has seven home games next year if you want to count um, the UCLA game. So, you know, it's that's a, that's a favorable schedule with a lot of tough games. I don't know why the road is all the M schools. It's, it's like they said, let's just pick a letter and that's where you're going. Michigan, Minnesota, Maryland. Uh, it's neat. It's interesting. But yeah, I think two losses to what to Chris's point, you can lose two games and they don't have to be by one point. And you're you can still make the playoffs with that type of schedule. Three losses, I think you're really pushing the envelope, regardless of how close they are and to who they are. Yeah, I know we're going to twelve games or to a twelve team playoff, but I don't know if I want to if I want to ride that ride of hey USC has three losses, but look who they lost to. Let let's stick it to and say that that's a safe number. But yeah, Eric talked about it. Twenty twenty six is even better than this. I like this schedule. It, 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 these are marquee names. Rutgers is one of the oldest programs that's ever played the game, so there's that kind of history. Wisconsin, Penn State coming out of the Coliseum. That's kind of cool. Wide out or not, that's a big, big time game. And my one of my bucket lists is definitely going out to uh, Ann Arbor. So we get to knock that out next year. Nice schedule. Hey, way to pump up that Rutgers football tradition. I didn't expect that coming into this show. I I didn't think we were going to have that discussion, but that's nice. No, I mean anytime. Anytime you got mascots that can sword fight, I think that ups thing, right? That, that, that raises it a level. I think what's going to be interesting. Sorry, Greg, but before you go with these conferences getting so big, right? So many teams. I think there's going to be some really frustrating seasons where you watch a team get a schedule where you go, Hey, we'd like to play that schedule. And you can't really do anything about watching maybe two of those teams go to the conference championship game because of how those schedules worked out, where there is just an, a clear advantage to the misses that you're going to get again, when there's so many teams in this conference and you could end up with two losses that are really tight. And watch two teams that maybe you think you're better than play in the conference championship game. And if we have something where, you know, no, that third place team can't be one of those 12 teams. I think that, again, with so many teams in these conferences, you know, it's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen at some point where maybe you are the best team in the conference, you still don't get into the championship game because of your schedule. And then there's kind of a push for, well, if you didn't play in the championship game, then you can't go to the playoff again. I know, I know it's a ton of ifs, but that's what, what pops in my head when you see how many misses there are, right? When, when you talk about going to the big 10, you're not playing Ohio state for a little bit, or you don't get, you know, maybe, maybe, an Oregon or a Washington. I know they play one of those teams uh, in each of the five years scheduled, but it's definitely something to watch. I think going forward, kind of how those schedules shake out and and who gets the good misses and and the bad misses every year. Yeah. I think it's the sequence of the games as much as the the names. Um, I think the big winner is the USC ticket department. Uh, You can almost make a bet. Nebraska sell out in the Coliseum 
Penn State, sell out in the Coliseum. Wisconsin, definitely a sell out in the Coliseum. These people bring uh, people. Uh, I'm with uh, you guys. Uh, I think a bucket list for me would be to see a game at the big house in Michigan. So I got excited when that game was inserted instead of a trip to Penn State, Happy Valley. So uh, it's going to be something exciting, something to look forward to. Uh, it'll be definitely different without uh, Caleb Williams as well. That's for sure. Friends, we again strongly encourage those of you watching inside the Trojan Settle on sites like YouTube. Click on the like and red subscriber buttons. Greatly valued and appreciated. It's free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Subtle on many available podcast sites. Be sure to check out wersc.com and become a premium subscriber. All right, let's get into the third quarter lightning round. This will be a special USC Notre Dame lightning round edition. All questions pertaining to the best intersectional rivalry in the country. Panel, answer the following statements with a brief comment if you feel necessary. We'll go in this order, Mark, Eric, Chris, and myself. Question one, yes or no, will you be attending the USC pep rally at the Chicago Navy Pier at noon, weather permitting, on Friday, Mark? No, I'm getting in too late. Eric? Did you say me? Is it my turn? (laughs) Sorry, I was looking. Uh, No, I'll be there in spirit, right? I will be, I will be getting on, I'll be boarding a plane at that point. Chris? I plan to. Okay. Uh, I I will not, uh, even though I'll be in there early, but it's worth going to if you have not been to it. Question two, fill in the blank. There are many great restaurants in Chicago. Your favorite Chicago restaurant is? Mark? Uh, pick a steakhouse. and, and that, That's a good one. I, I don't have a favorite restaurant. I'm sorry. Eric? I got a few. I'm going to make up for Mark. Can't make up his mind. Here we go. So for breakfast, there's a place, Ann Sather, which has cinnamon rolls that are gigantic. Very good. Uh, and then two restaurants, Girl and the Goat, which is very good. Uh, the the chef there, owner, is is in L.A. now and opened one here. And then Topo Bampo is a Rick Bayless restaurant, which is incredible. Those are my three. Chris? I don't have any of that level of information. Um, I, I've been going to Ditka's as sort of a tradition with my son for years. Um, but um, but now I'm interested in trying those cinnamon rolls. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I've been to Ditka's. I did, that's news to me that Ditka's is no longer in, uh, in business. But it was a great ribs place. A lot of nostalgia there. But since Ditka's out of the question... Uh, I would recommend if you can get a reservation at Harry Carey's. Uh, it's a really great, uh, restaurant with all sorts of Cubs paraphernalia. Harry Carey glasses, a bar attached to it. Great place. Uh, Luminati's, uh, pizza. In fact, uh, I just had, uh, some of their frozen pizza sent to my house. <laughs> Excuse me. So I could experience a lot of fun, but a lot of great restaurants there. Greek restaurants. Uh, a lot of ethnic food. It's uh, you, you can't you can't miss on it. Uh, question three: Fill in the blank. I can't believe you missed Garrett's popcorn as your favorite favorite restaurant. Well, I didn't consider that a restaurant, but I'd be very happy to it, add. It list. sells food. It, it is food. Uh, if you're at the Navy Pier, they have a great Garrett's uh, popcorn place. It seems like they have a Garrett's popcorn every other block, but it it's the real deal. If you like caramel corn, you don't want to miss it. Portillo's, All right. Portillo's is a great place for fast food if you want something. I, there, there's something right off the top of my head. 
There we go. There we go. Okay. Forget the game. Yeah. Let's Horses just Let's Food just, tour. Oh, by the way, in South Bend, I did. I should throw this in. Tippy Canoe Place is a tremendous uh, restaurant. It's the old Studebaker House Mansion. They turned it into a restaurant. I was going there for years and years and years. A lot of great. The Notre Dame Glee Club comes in and sings the Notre Dame fight song. It's really a cool, cool place. It's in near, right off the main strip of uh, the, the town of uh, South Bend. All right, fill in the blank uh, panel. The greatest USC villain for Notre Dame is Mark. Ooh, there's a lot of them. I'm going to go with uh, Sylvester the Cat, Lou Holtz. Uh, okay, that's a good one. Uh, Eric? Wait, are we, am I picking a USC player? I think it's, it's Reggie no, Bush, it's, right? It's, Is that my, the, the USC it's, it's, player it's, 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 that, name. let me, oh, let me clarify. And Mark, you want to change your answer. It's okay. Uh, who is the greatest USC villain for a Notre for Notre Dame fans? And maybe that's a better clarification. Yeah, I think I think Reggie. I'll go with Reggie Bush. Okay, second Reggie. You're good with that, Chris. I already know what you're going to say, Greg, and so I'm going to let you say it. And I'm going to and I'm going to pick a different one, an under the radar one. Mark Cusano, who made uh, huge plays to break the streak in '96. And had a couple of huge plays in 97 to break the losing streak in South Bend. Go ahead, Greg. Don't let me down. All right. Uh, okay. All right. I'll play along. What's the initials? Oh, I, I, that gives it away. Well, well, I don't care. What's the initials? It's AD. You're right. Yeah, Anthony Davis by far. Although I think Bush in the modern era probably will get Notre Dame's attention. But all right. So let's flip it here. Question four. Fill in the blank. The greatest. Notre Dame villain for USC fans. I know who Chris is going to pick, but I'll keep that to myself for the moment. Mark, who is it? I'm sick with with Lou Holtz. Not a fan of that guy. Okay. Eric? Yeah, that seems fine. I'm okay with that. He's he's the guy, I mean, he's, he's the guy that comes to mind the most when I think about, you know, bad Notre Dame USC memories. Chris? Yeah, it, it's it's Lou. The amount of trauma that Lou Holtz inflicted on on me and other USC people over the years. Because you could look, I mean, you know, Tony Rice, Tony Rice did a lot of damage, the Michael Stonebreakers of the world, Chris Zorich, whatever. But the players <laughs> came and went. The players came and went, but there was always that leprechaun looking, lisping, spitting monster on the sideline and his teams were always tougher and they were always more disciplined and they were always more prepared and it sucked every year year after year horrible i still have nightmares where loopholes is standing there 1988 scarred me forever horrible (laughs) 89 was pretty brutal too yeah good point uh i i will uh go along with lou holtz because you know there's a lot of great players but when you talk about villains, just villains, someone who could agitate you, I, I think there's nobody that even comes close to uh, Lou Holtz. He just had a way of getting under your skin. All right, question five. Chicago O'Hare, Midway, or South Bend Airports? Mark? If I could afford it, South Bend. I'm going into Midway for this game. <laughs> <laughs> Eric? Yeah, that sounds right. 
<laughs> Chris? I've never flown into South Bend. I've flown into the other two. I can't say that I love either one. Yeah. Uh, given my choice, if I have to, if I can't, couldn't get into South Bend, I've never done that one, but uh, I would go with Midway. Unfortunately, I have to go into O'Hara, which I really didn't want to do. But uh, given my choice, I'd, I'd go Midway. Uh, question six, yes or no, Caleb Williams will throw for four touchdowns if we're over 300 yards against the Irish. Mark, yes or no? Yeah, he's going to have a bounce back game. Lincoln Riley will force it to happen. Eric? Yeah, yeah, big one for Caleb. Chris? Yeah, yeah, he's a legend, and he's going to put on a legendary performance. Yeah. Uh, trying to weigh the two, I'll, I'll go that he will do it. Uh, again, weather could have a, a factor in some of it. Question seven, yes or no, Notre Dame quarterback Sam Hartman will throw for four touchdowns and 300 yards against the Trojans' defense. Mark? Everybody's weakness on offense gets better against USC's defense. So at this point, I got to say yes. Eric? No. He'll hit uh, He'll hit one of those numbers, not both. Chris? Yeah, I agree. He's going to throw for 300. He will not throw for four scores. Okay. I say that uh, he will throw for 300 yards. It's, he could throw for four touchdowns, but I'll say no. But it wouldn't shock me if he did. <laughs> Question eight, yes or no? The Trojans running back Marshawn Lloyd will have 100 yards against the Irish. He'll rush for 100 yards. Yes or no, Mark? That's a question for Lincoln Riley. Yes or no? <laughs> I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say yes. Okay. Eric? So you messed me up when you reread it and added will rush for 100 yards. I think he'll have 100 total yards. I think he will rush for less than 100 yards because I've thought that he'd rush for more than 100 yards the last two games. So I'm not going to guess the same thing and, and be wrong again. I hope I am wrong on this one, but I'm not, I'm not going to guess it again. Chris? No. I wish you would, but No. He'll have 13 carries for 94 yards. No, he will not uh, rush for 100 yards. Question nine, yes or no, Notre Dame running back Audric Estime will rush for over 100 yards against the Trojans. Mark? Yes. Eric? Yeah, absolutely. They, I see just can't let it hurt, right? They can't be a bunch of 30-yard runs, but if he goes 30 carries for 115, 120 yards, I, I think you're okay with that. Chris? He will because he's going to have one carry of at least 50 yards, but I think USC is going to control him for most of the game. All right. I, I say he will have over 100 yards rushing. Question 10, yes or no, provided you have seen the movie, Rudy, is it a reasonable reflection of what game day at Notre Dame is like? Mark? Yeah, sure. Why not? Eric? Uh, there's more cell phone pictures at some of the various things now, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it. It's the same kind of feel. Chris? No, everything about that movie is a lie. All right. Uh, Every detail. Well, I totally disagree with you, but then you're the movie aficionado, but I disagree. Uh, I think it's a real, if you want to see what it's like, check it out, make make a choice for yourself. But Rudy, aside from the legendary stuff, which isn't accurate in a lot of ways, uh, the actual game day footage really kind of captures it 
All right, bonus question, yes or no, if you could step inside a time machine and relive in person a past Notre Dame-USC game, what game would it be and why, Mark? 1974. The comeback game. Yes. All right. Eric? Yeah, I thought I had a real easy answer, but then Mark said that one, and now I'm thinking about it. I I think with apologies to Desmond Reed, that 2005 game again. I don't I don't want to make Desmond go through that again, but uh, that that one was that one was pretty incredible to be at. Chris, go ahead, Mark. Because, because I did see 2005 in person, I choose 74. But that Bush Push game was unbelievable. See, that's why I should have chosen 2005. I wasn't there, but I was only seven in 1974, so I had to kind of flip a coin on this one. I watched 2005 on TV. I didn't see 2004 on TV. Okay, I'm uh, just for a personal sake, uh, our late colleague, Kevin Bruce, I would have liked to have paid more attention to him uh, when he started against Notre Dame in that game at the Coliseum. I was there. I was uh, 24 years old. Uh, it was like nothing I've ever seen it, it to go from depression in the first half and saying this game is over to the second half was like, it was unbelievable. If you ever get, go to YouTube, watch that game with Tom Kelly describing it. Uh, he just, he brought it to life. Uh, some of it, Kelly's comments were just, the Trojans are just absolutely eating up the Irish. It was like for a Trojan fan to hear that. It gives you a goosebump. So that's obviously a great, great uh, moment. So uh, I wish everybody could have been there. It was something else. So before we head into the fourth quarter of the huddle, we now light the symbolic, hopefully, torch. I always think of this when I'm in the press box between the third and fourth quarters. Uh, This is a tribute, our tribute to USC home games from the Fame Coliseum Torch is lit between the third and fourth quarter of every home game. Those of you that follow Big Ten teams and will be coming out to L.A. for the first time, it's something that you'll always remember seeing. Uh, while the torch burns, a reminder to all you recruitaholics, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com's weekly recruiting video show, Recruiting Roundup with nationally respected Scott Schrader, the best in the business, and host Dylan Brazier. And a reminder as well to watch Friday's new four-down show with moderator Eric McKinney along with myself, bringing you the latest info on USC's next opponent, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, and sponsored by Prize Pick. All right, fourth quarter, predictions. It's time to predict the winners from the Pac-12 teams in action and a national game of significance. We'll go in this order. Chris, Mark, Eric, and Greg, here's a Friday night, October 13th game. We have Stanford at Colorado, 7 p.m. ESPN. Colorado's at 10 point. Ten and a half point favorite. Favorite. Who do you have, uh, Chris? Who Colorado. Colorado big. Stanford's terrible. All right, uh, Mark. Yep, same thing. Eric. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to Saturday, October fourteenth. Cal at number sixteen, Utah, twelve p.m. Pac twelve networks. Utah is a thirteen and a half point favorite. Chris. 13.5-point favorite for a team that averages about 13.5 points scored per game? I mean, Utah will probably win at 7 nothing, and Cal may not get a first down. But yeah, Utah's going to win the game. Cal's not going to win that road game. But Utah's not nearly good enough offensively for a point spread like that. That's silly. Mark? 
It's a trap game for Utah, one week ahead of USC. Just throwing it out there. Uh, they're going to win. I don't think they're going to cover. Eric? I I always think that we're going to find out when Cam Rising is going to play because of the point spread. And so I'm wondering if this has something to do with the, the 13 and a half. Because you're right. They, I mean, without him, they could win that game 12 to nothing. Uh, so, so that's kind of my, my angle on this is that, as I wonder if Utah wants him back a week before USC to get him some, some time with the offense here. And if he plays, they'll, I think they'll cover that. They'll, they'll win no matter what though. Good point, double points, Yeah. I think that, uh, Utah so well coached, uh, manages to get the job done without Cameron Rising, who, by the way, uh, made a public comment that his knee surgery was much more serious and involved than it was, uh, which kind of makes me now understand why he's not been on, on the field at this point. Uh, and I still wonder whether he will get on the field at this point, uh, but we're going to find out soon. By the way, if you hadn't heard the USC-Utah game, uh, the kickoff time has been announced. It's 5 p.m. in the Coliseum, 5 p.m., which is like a blessing to me. Uh, number eight, Oregon at number seven, Washington, 12.30 p.m. ABC. This is a big one. Washington is a three-point favorite. Chris, who wins it? I think Oregon's the better football team, but Oregon is not nearly as good away from opposite, and Washington is a tough place to play when they're playing well. Uh, I'm going to go with Washington. I think they'll win it, but I think it's going to be very close. Mark? Woof. I'm going Washington. Eric? Yeah, home team. Would have picked Oregon if it was at Autzen. And I, I agree. I, Husky Stadium, when it's when it's on, it's a difficult place to play, especially for Oregon. They they can't stand each other. So uh, I'm I'm going with the Huskies. All right. So I don't even want to say any more surprising. I think Arizona's actually pretty good. At number 19, Washington State, 4 p.m., Pac-12 Networks. Cougars are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Chris? If Arizona didn't just lose in triple overtime to USC – I'd actually pick them to win this game. I, I think I think they're every bit as good as Washington State is. But uh, that that game took a lot out of them. So I'm going to go with Washington State, but I think it's going to be close. And I think nine and a half points is way too many. Mark? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm taking the home team. I, I don't think Arizona circled this game. Eric? Yeah, Washington State. It, it's the USC fall down game, right? I mean, every time it's the same reason I picked Arizona State to beat Colorado last week. And I, I know Colorado ended up winning, but I think a lot closer than whatever the spread was or whatever. So yeah, I, I see Arizona potentially coming out flat um, after playing USC. I say if Washington State doesn't put him away with a big point uh, deluge in the first half. I think Arizona can win, but I'm still going to go with Washington State on this one. Number 18, UCLA at number 15, Oregon State, 5 p.m. on Fox. Oregon State, five-and-a-half-point favorite. Chris, who do you got? You know, UCLA is pretty good defensively, which I didn't expect would be the case. Um, And I don't trust Oregon State at quarterback. 
but that's going to be a tough place to play. And, and Jonathan Smith is such a good coach. I think Oregon state wins the game. I do think it's competitive, um, but I think Oregon state wins and I think they, uh, they cover that point spread. Mark. Yeah, I, 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 I think Oregon state is going to come up with some defenses to confuse the freshman quarterback for UCLA. I got Oregon State on this one. They're they're just they're tough at home. They are just a really nasty team to deal with up in Corvallis. Eric, I think UCLA wins. I think they give the ball to Carson Seal about seventy five times in that one. I think he I think he ran it thirty times uh, against Washington State. I think that UCLA can kind of control the ball that way. They will run the ball for four yards a carry over and over and over and over and and help out their quarterback. Uh, I I think. Like Chris said, I, I think defensively they've got some things for Oregon State too. I, I think they can win that one. All right, I'm I'm going with Oregon State. Uh, it's just a weird environment in there. The fans are really into it. They have a they expanded a stadium. It looks great. Uh, I think uh, DJ uh, Lele will have a good game. Although the UCLA defense is is pretty good, but I'm going with the Beavers. Our national game of the week. Happens to be the one we're all going to be attending. Number 10, USC. Number 21, Notre Dame. 4.30 p.m. NBC. Trojans are two-and-a-half-point underdog. Chris, I think we've all kind of expressed there we are, but for the record, who wins it? This is the most important game of the season, not just this year, but every year. Don't talk to me about UCLA. Don't talk to me about Oregon. Certainly don't talk to me about Utah. This is the one that matters every single year. And even if USC doesn't win a national title this year, and they won't, every single game against Notre Dame matters. And winning in South Bend, which doesn't happen all that often, is enormously important. USC has the better player at the most important position. They have more speed and more athleticism. And I think they're actually going to commit to stop the Notre Dame run game. USC goes into South Bend and beats the Irish by two touchdowns. Oh, uh, Mark. I want USC to win. I'm going to leave it there. I I have never been to a game in South Bend to see USC win a game yet. I'm going this week. All right, Eric. I'm I'm again worried that that I'm landing where Chris is. Landing. I, yeah, USC by 10, I think in this one. I, I think that there are, it's right for USC fans to have a lot of questions about whether this USC team can actually stay awake for four quarters and actually play its best football for four quarters. I may end up having to apologize next week. This Notre Dame team specifically is is not super scary with how they match up against USC. I, I think that USC gets it together, and and I think they win by double digits. I'm willing to eat crow. I am so willing. <laughs> well, I want SC to win, and uh, my heart is with SC, but. There's part of me that tells me, do you want to believe your heart or your mind? Now, some would argue I don't have a mind, so you have to take that into consideration. But if I have to lean on something, I I would say Notre Dame will win, but I'll certainly be rooting hard for SC. 
I know that sounds like a conflict of terms, but after what I saw against Arizona, if they come out the same way and Notre Dame starts getting into it and the crowd gets into it, it'd be very difficult to win. Uh, they can't afford to have a El Flopo in the first half at, in, at Notre Dame Stadium. It'll be lethal. All right. Overtime. We had a late deluge of people that sent in questions. We greatly appreciate it. So we're going to try to get to everybody. <laughs> if it's a question we've already covered, we're going to go on to the next one. But we want to give you the credit for, for making the effort to get a hold of us. Question one from Bobby Teed up in Rancho Mirage, California. So was the plan to hide Zachariah and Deuce all along? Was that the plan? Seems like many holdouts could be key players versus Notre Dame. Comments? Exactly what I advised Lincoln Riley to do. Hide those guys. <laughs> I mean, Zachariah Branch had the first offensive touch of the season for USC. He played a ton when he was on the field. There, there wasn't a lot of hiding him. I think Deuce Robinson is coming along at the speed you would expect any normal true freshman wide receiver to come along at. Whether Zachariah Branch plays or is available against Notre Dame is a huge question. You hope that he is. It clearly changes the offense when he's on the field for USC. What it really changes is the special teams. USC special teams the return game was obviously great when, when Zachariah Branch was back there. They're not scaring teams. I, I like Michael Jackson the third as a punt returner. I like Mikai Lemon as a as a kickoff returner. Neither one of them are feel like playing the same sport when it comes to comparing to what Zachariah Branch can do as a returner. He is he is big time there and would be a huge benefit in two of the three areas, which again then helps your defense also against Notre Dame, whether he plays or not, I think is pretty significant. It's not as significant as whether Caleb Williams is on his game or not, but it's not all that far off when you talk about USC. I mean, it goes right against Arizona. We talked all year and all offseason. If the defense can hold a team to 28 points, USC should win every single game. The defense held Arizona to 28 points in regulation. I kind of understand where Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley are coming from when they say the defense helped us win that game or what was a key to winning that game. Um, that offense needs to step it up a little bit and, and having Branch available, I think would, would make it do that. When he's been available, he's not been hidden. He has been, he has been front and center for that offense. Well, I think we all learned the importance of Zachariah uh, Branch being in the game. The big question, and certainly a topic on the WRSE premium message boards, uh, what's wrong with them? Some people are saying it's academic. Some people are saying it's physical. It's possible that some of you actually do know the answer. But as you know, that we're not allowed to comment on any of this stuff. So for, for public sake, we, we don't have an answer for you. I wish we did. Uh, but he definitely is a difference maker. Question two, from Romy in Huntington Beach, California, I feel that the coaching staff is shortchanging the players. Is there any improvement that you see from game one through game six? Comments? From the trained eye or the untrained eye? You knew that answer was coming, right? No, that that was a take from one of Lincoln Riley's comments, of course, from the past. The trained eye. It I mean it's hard to see it. I mean, yes. I'm sure there are, ind- there are individual players that I'm sure have been improving as the season goes on, but 
I mean, you watch the last few weeks, that doesn't look like a team that's getting better. Are they, I mean, are, are the yards per game allowed on defense getting better or the, the total points getting better? Are the yards per game on offense getting better? Are there more explosive plays on offense and fewer explosive plays allowed on defense? Not really. The, you know, the, the pressure, the sack numbers, the, all of that stuff. Are you controlling the game more as the, the games go along? I just, I don't know where you can point to and say, you know, this unit or this position group or what we do here is clearly getting better. And the, and the teams are getting tougher. I mean, there's, there's no denying that you'd expect the games to get harder as this season went along, but that's still an Arizona team that we all agree is pretty good, but not, not Oregon, not Washington. And from where you went, I think maybe specifically that first half, even going back to Stanford, which is not a good team, but the way they came out against Colorado and the way they played that first half and you thought, okay, here it is, right? This is the team. And the way that second half kind of collapsed on both sides, really. And I I know you got some defensive plays in there and then kind of what you've seen since then, I, I don't know if you can point to, yeah, we, we feel really great about this heading into to the back half of the schedule. I, I think a lot of it is is picking and choosing points and knowing what your personnel is, right? The fact that it, it could get there. I wrote about it in my Sunday takeaway. Is, the bottom line for me, is this team ready to compete at a championship level? Based on these last two and a half plus games? No, not even close. They're not getting better. All right, question three from R.C. Trojan from Rancho Cucamonga. Since I'm guessing Arledge is still boycotting Grinch questions, how concerned should we be that instead of gelling and getting better as the season goes on, the offensive line seems to be getting worse, especially given the obvious lack of depth? Has it been a question of questionable play-calling scheme or that CLR knows he can't rely on them to establish the running game against a decent or better team? Basically, what is it? I don't know what Lincoln Riley's thinking. Nobody knows what he's thinking because he doesn't tell us. I'll say this. I get it. When you have a when you have a talent like Caleb Williams, if you run the ball, we were talking about run the ball for three or four yards. Okay, but if you run the ball a couple times for three yards and then you have a third and four, uh, you're giving Caleb Williams one shot. And I think Lincoln Riley probably believes that if he gives Caleb Williams three shots on every possession – that something good is going to happen. And most of the time that's true. The problem is that if teams, if teams have, have, if teams have decided that is in fact our philosophy at this point, and they just make it where USC can't get the big play, Caleb will force the big play and, and we'll end up in third and 10 and things go south. So I think USC has to run the ball better. I think, I think Lincoln Riley knows that, but, uh, if I'm a defensive coordinator or if I'm a corner on the other team, anytime you take the ball out of Caleb Williams' hands is probably a good play. So I get why he does what he does. I, I mean, we may have seen a, a flip at right tackle, right? Mason Murphy came in and, and finished that game out for, for Michael Tarquin. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like going forward. And then I think you're all – I mean – 
the offensive line in any year just gets absolutely beat up, right? This is this is going to start being the time where you have this many consecutive games that you're going to see kind of all the the nicks and dings and all of that stuff and, and for sure it's a concern with the with the lack of depth that this team has especially in that interior where Gino Quinones was a huge loss early in the year to to be able to kind of spell those guys and and come in and give them a breather so yeah i mean offensively the offensive line for for sure is the question just because the lack of depth and I I think you're right that that's sort of disjointed. Can we rely on them? Can they protect Caleb Williams? I mean, he took some, some hits against Arizona where to me, it almost seemed like he and the tackles didn't know where he was going to be. And it was just a free shot from the, from the defensive ends uh, at him. So yeah, I don't I don't think you love right now what the pass protection looks like and what the run game looks like. And again, halfway through the season with this offense, had we been saying that before the season started, it, it would have been an absolute shock. I'm okay when a player fails to execute a play. Stuff happens. You miss an assignment. It's part of the game. Not knowing your assignment at, in game six, that's an issue. And I'm hearing murmurs, rumors that some of these guys still don't know their assignments. There was one play. I'm not, no, I'm not, because I have to mention names. There was one play, though, where the offensive, two of the offensive linemen were trying to give a couple of attaboy pats to another guy. And it was clearly after he missed his assignment. So that's maybe where the concern should be. It's not about execution. It's do they know what they're doing? I think they miss Gino Quinones more than they let on early. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. Question four from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona. We played like hot garbage. This was the opening statement Deion Sanders made in his postgame interview after a Buffs win on the road at Arizona State. When is Riley going to stop with the coach speak and sunshine pumping and call out his players for playing like hot garbage and having no personal pride? Because that what playing defense is, physically denying your opponent, to move the ball on you regardless of the pain it may cause you. Second question, where is your favorite place to eat in Chicago? Personally, I love Gene and Giorgetti's, but always looking for a great suggestion. I think we answered the second question. I wanted to spend a bunch of time on the second question and just not even hit it the the first part on this one. Oh, don't cop out. We tell it like it is here. You know, Riley does. I I think he does call out the players. He just does it in a uh, more subtle way. I mean, I need to do better play calling. I, the coaches need to do this. The players need to execute. He calls him out, but not by name. Look, if you want Lincoln Riley and Deion Sanders to run their programs the same, it's not going to happen. Deion Sanders has that Colorado program completely open. Every second, everything that that program is doing is put out on social media and videos, and it is it is very transparent. It's the, the way he handles that Lincoln Riley is not Lincoln Riley wants a concrete wall between everybody and what's happening inside of his program. You are not going to get a ton of public straightforward anything that can be perceived as him 
you know, really going at players or giving anything away in terms of strategy, not even like a, we need to be better at this very, very specific thing. So the idea that Riley is going to follow in Deion Sanders shoes in anything is kind of a, a full stop. You're just not going to get it. Secondly, the idea that what Lincoln Riley is saying publicly is the same thing that he's saying in team meetings like that that's not that's not happening either the the defense is for sure being challenged the offense is for sure being challenged like he is Lincoln Riley Caleb Williams those guys are are again as competitive as it gets the idea that he's just okay with the way they've played I I don't buy that at all let me make one other comment about this. I don't. I think the question sort of implies that USC defensively isn't playing hard. I actually don't think that's true. I think they are playing hard. I, I think. I think there's some some scheme things that are problematic when it comes to the run game uh, and the pass game. And I think USC has some. I think USC does have some holes in the secondary. I, I, I mean, I think. I think the opponent oftentimes has better athletes than what USC has in its secondary right now. Um, but I think those guys are playing hard and I think they'll play hard again Saturday. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't see guys just getting pushed around. They're, they're flying around. I think they are. I think they're trying to play defensively. It's just their mistakes and schemes and, and, and guys that can't match up against really good receivers. And, and that's what's going on. All right, question five from Ray. Excuse me, Ray and Lacanada. Guys, I've never been to Notre Dame. You guys have. What makes winning there seem more difficult than a normal sold-out stadium? Notre Dame's usually pretty good. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I I don't – and I don't think today's 20-year-olds have – I don't think they're haunted by the ghosts of of Notre Dame. Guys, Guys that are 50 like me, we are. Because we remember all that, we remember a lot of that Notre Dame history. If you're as old as Greg, you remember even more of it. But, but the the guys that are the guys that are playing Saturday, they're not haunted by Notre Dame and its tradition. They don't freaking care. The reality is that it's hard to play on the road, and it's hard to play on the road against teams that are good. And Notre Dame's usually pretty good. Just be glad there's no more natural grass. That's what makes it even more challenging. Yeah. <laughs> Question six from Don from Alabama, a.k.a. Trojan fan in Alabama. If SC keeps winning and ends up either 11-1 or 10-2, does Lincoln Riley make a change at defensive coordinator for 2024 if the defense doesn't change their play? Who knows, but I would be if, – if USC doesn't play better defense <laughs> the second half of this year, it's hard to imagine that Alex Grinch is coming back. I just don't – I just don't know how you can do it. I mean – you're trying to sell what are you trying to sell to your players and recruits and 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 he doesn't care about the media but what are you trying to sell the media i but i don't know because uh he's kept alex Grinch around for a long time he had him at oklahoma and they didn't play very good defense so i don't know here's another here's a question i'll ask it this way what if it isn't up to lincoln riley you got your up to lincoln riley it's up to lincoln riley (laughs) Chris, hear me out. Oh, please. Chris, hear me out, please. Don't don't go through on me right now. 
donors are starting to get really frustrated with the, the results that they're seeing on the field. Yeah, they're, they're getting wins, but they're not happy with the way the defense is playing. Lincoln Riley chose his guy to stick with him this year. When these donations start tightening up, drying up, and NIL starts tightening up and drying up, Jen Cohen might say, hey, Lincoln, let's kick him out of the nest. It's time for him to go find a head coaching job. It's that type of thing. Lincoln will make the final decision, but he's going to have people chirping in his ears. That do matter. It's already starting. Jen Cohen is not firing Alex Grinch. I didn't say that. I think, I mean, I would be, if they don't win a national championship this year, whatever the regular season record is, I will be on that side of, of surprised if there isn't a change made. When you, when you specifically state what your goals are and you, you don't reach them. And if it is, you know, again, I don't, I don't remember the exact wording of the question, but if you're giving up 40 points a game and you're in the hundreds in terms of all the key, defensive metrics i i don't i don't know how i don't know how you don't i don't know how when when the personnel upgrade is what it was this offseason the idea that oh no we need we need one more year uh feels a little bit hollow i will say lincoln riley feels stubborn it feels like he is stubborn enough and confident enough in himself and i and i don't say stubborn to be a a full negative in that way but i do think that he would have a sense of he knows football right i mean the the train die comment like that that there's something there's something beyond that people on the outside aren't going to tell me how to run my program i'm going to make the call on some of this stuff college football is about you need money to keep your roster. I, I, no, I mean, I'm, no argument there. Yes. This is where I'm coming out from this angle. Mm-hmm. Recruiting is already being, is a challenge right now, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. You cannot tell me that he's not going to be getting words of encouragement from his boss when that type of stuff is being affected. Sorry, Chris, you can disagree with me. I already did. I don't have to do it again. Okay. My, my point is, Look, I think Lincoln Riley probably pulls the trigger if the defense doesn't play better because Lincoln Riley is more motivated to win football games and national titles than any of us or Jim Cohen. He just is. The question is the question is whether Lincoln Riley still believes in Alex Grinch. And if he does, I don't know how to explain that. But if he does, if he really thinks that's the guy, I don't think there's anybody with the juice to push him out. But we'll see. All right, we have about five more questions. I think in the interest of time and knowing what the questions are, I'm going to move those questions to next week because I think they're appropriate. They will not be uh, restricted by time. So, again, if you have questions for comments for our panel, go to WeRSC members' message board. Click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Huddle, viewer or listener questions. And once again, if you enjoyed Inside the Trojan Huddle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out WeRSC.com and become a premium subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Reminder to watch our four downs on Friday and five things on YouTube following a Saturday night game at Notre Dame. Until next Tuesday when we review the Notre Dame game, preview the Utah game, present a new Big Ten lightning round, and all the things pertaining to USC football. A big thank you to our great panelists, Mark Culkin, 
Eric McKenney, Chris Arledge. Special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Huddle. Have a great week. Beat the Irish. And until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.